Reading of God's word comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is God's word. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. If you've been with us this month, we've been going through the themes of Advent. On the first of the month, December 1st, we talked about hope. Pastor Chris looked at hope from 1 Peter, verses 3 through 5, and looked at uh, the living hope that we have in Christ. On the second week, we talked about joy. We talked about joy in the midst of trials. The third week, we talked about peace, uh, the peace that comes from knowing what Christ has done for us. And today, we talk about love. Uh, we hear a lot about love. This is not a, a new topic, uh, a topic that you've heard uh, a lot about. People like to talk about love. People like to re- uh, write books about love, like to write songs about love. And we all think we might know what each other may mean uh, when we use such a word uh, like love. But uh, the scriptures actually have the authoritative word on the subjects. And so today, our goal is not to talk about what we think about love, uh, but what the Bible is saying to us about the matter. As we draw closer to Christmas, we are reminded again that as Jesus came, came down to earth, so love came down to us. Uh, Peter, here in his first epistle, writes about the glories that we have in Christ, uh, the blessings that come through him and his work. Uh, in chapter one, as we said before, he, he writes about this idea of, of hope that we have in Christ. In verses 13 through 21, he, he writes about the idea of holiness. Having come to, to God, what, what does God expect of us, this life of holiness through Christ? And in verses 22 through 25, which we'll look at today, he writes about harmony because of Christ. Uh, Peter is writing to Christians here in this section that we just read about Christians getting along, living in harmony, living in love with and for one another. I remember talking to a, a veteran pastor who said to me that one of the hardest things he had to deal with in the church was trying to help Christians just get along. <laughs> there are a lot of hard things that churches go through, right? That's certainly true. But this was one of the hardest, which we probably agree that it shouldn't be that way, and yet we know that it often, unfortunately, is. So this idea of harmony, this idea of getting along, this idea of loving one another is the subject matter for this section that Peter writes to us. It begins in verse 22, 
by stating uh, the, or, or by identifying the state or the condition of the reader. Look at it again. Now that you have purified your souls. Now that you have purified your souls. Uh, having purified uh, your souls or, or yourselves is another way of saying now that you have experienced salvation. For, for, for us to be purified, for us to be made holy, is not that we are without sin, but before God we are declared righteous. So having been purified, what he's saying is having come to Christ through salvation. He continues, how does that work? By obedience to the truth or by obeying the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is the gospel. By obeying the gospel, by believing the gospel. We are saved, the Bible tells us, by grace through faith. It is through faith in God. It is through believing in what God has done for us through Jesus. So when Peter says, having, or by obedience to the truth, he's not saying that you've worked for your salvation or you've obeyed in order to get salvation so much as he's saying you have believed You've obeyed the truth. You've believed the gospel. You believe what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is believe and uh, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. How are we purified? By obedience to the truth. And what results from that, he says, for a sincere brotherly love. Or we could say, so that you may have sincere love for the brothers. Uh, when it says brothers here, you should know that that means brothers and sisters in Christ. A love for a faith family. A love for other people who know Jesus. And he qualifies this love with sincere. Some of your Bibles say unfeigned. Genuine. It's actually the, the term that, that means without hypocrisy. So let your love be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is putting on a, fake, a mask, right? It's faking it. It's being something that you're not. Pretending to be something that you're not. Pretending to be sincere when really it's not sincere. Peter's going deeper than just acts of love, but truly what love is, real love, brotherly love. This is the love between brothers. This is where we, this word is the phileo word in the Greek where we get our word, Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. But then Peter follows that with another statement. And it says this, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So the main verb of the sentence is, is here, is love. Uh, but we might want to ask, why another exhortation to love? If you're looking at your Bible, he says, for a sincere brotherly love, comma, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why does he repeat or seem to repeat the same thing? Uh, the reason that it looks like a repetition is because in our English, the same word, uh, two different words are translated the same way. So the love in sincere brotherly love and the love one another are not the same word. They don't mean the same Thing. There are actually four words in the Greek language for the word love. And in C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, he talks about those four different loves. And one is storgy, which is the familial love, affection, uh, parental 
type of love. Another form of love or another word for love is eros. Eros is the, the passionate love. It's the love of, of married couples. It's the love of, uh, of lovers. That this is what we mean when we say we're in love, right? This is the kind of love that, that operates face-to-face versus this, this word phileo that we just talked about, which is brotherly love, which operates shoulder-to-shoulder. Shoulder. This is friendship love. And then finally, the word that we might think of most often in the Bible when it talks about love is agape. This word applies to how God loves us and how we are then to love others. Christian love, we could say. So what we see Peter doing is he's moving from phileo, brotherly love, to agape or Christian love or God-like love. So it's not a repetition of the word. He's not saying the same thing twice. He's actually saying something different. He's actually upping the ante, if you will. Let me read for you what one commentator writes on this. And it's a little lengthy, but it's helpful. And so try to stick with me here. This word, talking about agape, speaks of a love which in its classical usage refers to a love called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the person loved which usage is carried over into the New Testament, but which word has been additionally, uh, additional content of the meaning poured into it by the way it is used in certain contexts in the Bible, such as John 3.16, where the idea of self-sacrifice for the benefit of the person loved is added to its classical meaning. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where the constituent or the essential elements of its biblical usage are listed. And 1 John 4, 8, where it is said to refer to the love that God is. God is love. Thus, the exhortation is to love one's brother Christian because he is precious to God and to love him with a love that is willing to sacrifice oneself for the benefit of that brother, a love that causes one to be long-suffering toward him, a love that makes one treat him kindly, a love that so causes one to rejoice in the welfare of another that there is no room for envy in the heart, a love that is not jealous, a love that keeps one from boasting of oneself, a love that keeps one from bearing oneself in a lofty manner, a love that keeps one from acting unbecomingly, a love that keeps one from seeking it one's own rights, a love that keeps one from becoming angry, a love that keep, uh, uh, a love that does not impute evil, a love that does not rejoice in iniquity, but in truth, a love that bears up all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the kind of love that God says one Christian should have for another. These Christians to whom Peter was writing already had fondness and affection for one another. That's phileo. The feeling of fondness and affection was perfectly proper in itself, but it could denigrate into an attachment for one another, which would be very selfish. But if these Christians would blend the two loves, saturate the human fondness and affection with the divine love, with which we are exhorted to love one another, then the human affection would be transformed 
and elevated to a heavenly thing, then the fellowship of the, of the saint with saint would be a, a heavenly fellowship, glorifying to the Lord Jesus, the most blessed in its results to themselves, and most blessed in its results to themselves. There is plenty of phileo, the writer says, fondness and affection among the saints, and too little agape, divine love, end quote. In short, this word agape is a godlike love. It is the kind of love that sacrifices itself for another. It is unconditional. It is an act of the will. There are several places we could look at throughout the, the, the New Testament where this word agape is used, which it is frequently used in your Bible. As you read your Bible, um, you, you would probably do well if you're going to guess if it's agape or another love, you're probably going to guess right if it's agape, right? Normally, that is, seems to be the word that gets used most often. Jesus says it this way, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Over and over again, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 1, Peter here, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 4. Over and over again, there's this call for Christians to love or agape one another. And Peter goes on to tell us more about this command of who we are to love, how we are to love, and why we are to love. We see it here in this, this phrase, the who, one another. See, this agape love doesn't say, I love this person, I don't love that person. It does not discriminate. Agape love does not discriminate uh, based on one's worthiness to be loved, based on friendship with someone, based on personal connection or shared interest or their, even their likability. That is not how agape love works. Agape love actually overlooks differences because it is, is derived in the will. One writer says, it's not a feeling, it's a willing. It's not a feeling, it's a willing. You can choose to love. We can choose to love. You are completely have the capacity to do that. The agape love of which we speak is only has a capacity for some, and we'll talk about it in that just a moment. Loving one another in this way is not our default response apart from Christ. If it were, there'd be no need for all of these commands, right? Uh, we would need to be told to love over and over again. But next we see how we are to love. He says this, earnestly from a pure heart, earnestly or, or deeply or fervently, some of your Bibles might say. Fervently is, is that idea of it's, it's stretched out. It's, a, it's, it's as much as you can stretch it, stretched to the limits. So when Peter says to, to love deeply or to love earnestly, he's saying this is the extent of the love. It goes this far. We're you might be reminded of Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. When Jesus is asked about loving your neighbor, uh, Jesus tells this great parable, right, uh, of, of what this love looks like. And we know that story. Many of us know that story of the man who, who saw this Jewish brother, Jewish man, laying on the side of the road, dying. Two others had passed, and a Samaritan comes, the hated Samaritans, right? 
comes by and helps at his own cost, at his own safety, potential danger, and he helps. Right? His, here's, here's the example of the love, right? The love is extended. It's deep. It's earnest. It's, it's stretched out to the limits. And Peter says, this love is from the heart. So it talks about the seriousness of this. Right? This isn't some surface, we just all kind of love each other. This is from the heart. There, there's depth to this seriousness. Depth to the heart of our love. One commentator says, Peter precludes the possibility that members of the Christian community will have one uh, will have a liking for one and not another uh, without deeply loving each other from the heart. Th- th- there's not a place for this. He says that when love is present, it erases tension, abolishes enmity, and banishes hatred. There's no category for a Christian who does not love like this. And he tells us why in verse 23. Since you have been born again. Here's the kicker. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since or because. Because you've been born again. That's why you can love earnestly from a pure heart one another. That's where it comes from. He goes on to say this new birth, this being born again, is not of perishable seed, but of imperishable which means that it's eternal. He goes on to say that in just a moment. We're reminded of the the parable in Luke 8, the parable of the sower. And here, this imperishable seed in the parable of the sower is the word of God. Keep reading. How are we born again? Of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is living and it is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is unfailing and it is permanent. So it is by the word of God, this imperishable seed, that we are made alive. He reinforces the point, if you have a Bible, these words will not be on the screen, verses 24 and 25 He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, and he says this, For, because all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word. This word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. Peter says, he he contrasts these two things, right? Man's life is short. Like, like grass, like flower that, that come and they go. They, he contra- contrasts that with the word of God that stands forever. What is, he, what is he trying to tell us? He's telling that, that this new life is eternal. It's eternal because the word of God is eternal. And it comes through the word of God, that, that life, because Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And not only does the word bring love and life, Uh, We also know that the Spirit is the one who produces this love. This love that we have for one another, how does that come? Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love comes from the Spirit. Love does not come from from you or me. Love doesn't come because you're a nice person. I hope you're a nice person. <laughs> but that's, you, you, you don't love like this because you're a nice person. 
God actually does something in us. The Spirit is, is producing something in us. Peter is communi- communicating the reality of what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian. is to love this way. To be born again is to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And he was asking about new life. He was asking about this idea of eternal life. And Jesus tells him that he must be born again. And that new life, that being born again, comes by the Spirit of God. So he says in John 3, verse 6. So Peter, let me say, why are we talking about this? First Peter is connecting the new birth to the Word. Jesus connected the new birth to the Spirit's. What are we to make of this? These are not contradictions. One pastor helps us this way. The Spirit uses the Word to produce life. The Spirit uses the Word to produce life. We're not saying two different things. We're not saying that someone comes to to Christ only through the Word and not through the Spirit, or through the Spirit and not through the Word. No, you come to Christ through the Word that the Spirit uses to draw you to himself. John 3 You know these words, verse 16, just a few, the next section after he talks to Nicodemus. He tells us that this new life is made possible because God loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life. How does this life come? How can we be born again? It's because love has come, because God has sent his love through his son. And because God has loved us, that compels us to love as well. Turning your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. In fact, 1 John is all about this idea of loving one another uh, in large part. In chapter 4, verse 7, John writes this. John, the writer of the Gospel of John, also the writer of the, the epistle of John, says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God, listen, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to do what? To be the propitiation for our sins, to be the satisfaction of God's wrath against our sin. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. John here is making the same point that Peter is making in 1 Peter 1, that love and being born again go together. That in order for you to love this way, you must be born again. Just a few verses after this in 1 John chapter 4, you can drop down in your Bible and look at verse 19. And it says this, we love because he first loved us. It's because of what God has done that we can do. 
It's because God's loved us that we can love. It's because God has served us that we can serve. All of those things are true. Christmas informs our love because it's at the birth of Christ that we see love come down, the promises fulfilled, love displayed. Years later, we would see love fully displayed through the cross through which, by faith, we are born again in the work of Christ and therefore capable of love. See, love is to define the Christian. John 13, verse 35, they will know we are Christians by our love. It's to define us. So we could say this way, an unloving Christian is a contradiction in terms. To be a Christian is to love one another. So an unloving Christian doesn't actually make sense. In fact, look at verse 20 in chapter 4 of 1 John. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jesus answers the question in Matthew chapter 22 of what's the greatest commandment by saying, love God and love your neighbor. We could say that the way that we show that we love God is by loving our neighbor, by loving one another. You say you love God, then how do you love other people? Look back at verse 7. It's on the screen there for you. There's one other thing about this verse that we should look at. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and then what's the last part? Knows God. It doesn't say knows about God. There's a lot of us who know about God. There's a lot of people who know about God. First John says that this means that we know God. Those who love with this agape love certainly have to be born again, but it also means that they know him. Those who love know God. Timothy Keller um, has said this. Knowing God means truth overflows into the rest of you. Um, from your mind into everything else. So to say that you know God is not to say that you have information about God. That's not what the Bible means when it says it, you know God. What it means is that what what was distant has now become um, close, intimate. It means that what you know in your head has now become actually um, experientially true. That, that a truth that maybe you've, you've, you've known, the light has come on with it. So verses that you've heard forever, the verse I just quoted, for God so loved the world. If you know God, you're going to hear that again and say, what in the world? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his only son? It flows out of your mind into the rest of you. It's not just a, a factoid that you say, yes, I know that verse. I memorized it when I was young. No, it, it, it moves out of your mind, through your body. You become changed by it or... How about 1 John 3, 1? Flip back into that. 1 John 3, 1. You're right there in 1 John. 
This is what John's response is. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Some of your Bibles say, see there. Some of your Bibles might say, behold. Pay attention. Take notice. God's love for us. Take notice of the kind of love that God has for us. The kind of love that calls us children of God. Sometimes people say, we're all God's children. No, not really. Let's define what we mean by that. Does God create all humans? Yes. Are we all God's creation? Yes. Are we all God's children? No. There is a way to be brought into the family of God. And it's not by flesh. It's not by blood. It's through Christ. So this morning, you can hear that word, behold what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And if you are a child of God, you say, yeah, behold that. How is that possible? But don't sit there this morning and and hear that and say, he means all of us. No, John doesn't mean all of us. He means those who who have seen the love of the Father and have responded to him in repentance and in faith. So the question becomes is, do you know him? And there's a litmus test for knowing him. Sometimes people want to say, you can't judge me. My relationship with God is is my own business. You you can't tell me if I know God or not. And you're right, it is between you and God. But there's actually evidence of whether or not you know God. And the evidence, one of the evidences, is if you love. If you love like God, then you're born again. Because the only way you could ever love like God is being born again. That's the only way this works. You may say, well, I know somebody who's really nice and they're not a Christian. Really nice and agape love are not the same thing. It is not the same thing. This love only comes from God. Therefore, only those who are God's can have it. Since you've been born again, you love like that. And this is not in any way, shape, or form. Maybe you just need to say this. Christians are not patting themselves on the back because they love like this. Oh, look at me. I'm loving one another. No, you're doing what the Bible told you to do. And you're doing it because the Spirit of God has enabled you. It's a miracle that any of us could love like this. It's a miracle that we can overlook differences. It's a miracle that in a church of 300 people that we can actually get along together. That is a miracle. That is the work of God. And when you know God, you know that that's a miracle. So I want to ask you this morning, have you seen the love of God shown to you in Christ? As we've talked about this love coming down, do you, do you see that? Have you, be, have you beheld that love? Do you know that it's through that love, that work of Jesus, that sins are forgiven and salvation is made possible for you? That there's a way for you to know that you're loved by the Father? Some of you might say, well, I've done a lot of bad things. I don't know if God loves me. God's love for you is not based on how many good things you did or didn't do, friend. That's the beauty of the gospel. We're not living up to God's love. We're living out of God's love. 
If you think you're going to earn it, good luck. I got better news for you. It's not earnable. We come to him through repentance and faith and we receive his love. For God so loved the world. If you've yet to do that, we invite you to do it. And if you have, if you have trusted Christ this morning, if you do know the beauties of the love of God, then let me ask you, do you have sincere brotherly love? As you evaluate your interactions, do you have sincere brotherly love? And do you love one another with a God-like love that's made possible through the Spirit of God that's in you? You can. You can because Christmas tells us that Emmanuel has come and the love that was given is in order that we may give to others. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks this morning for how you have shown your love to us. And for those who have received your love, God, may we love in return. We thank you that Jesus has come. We're thankful that he is here. So God, this morning, we say with the hymn writer John Newton, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name, who has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood, and he has brought us nigh to God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.